You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Melinda Emerson, otherwise known as the Small Biz Lady, America's number one small business expert and president of the Quintessence Group. Melinda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. This is going to be fun. I'm excited to kick off the new year here, and we're going in a slightly different direction from normal. As opposed to looking at larger corporate executives or nonprofit leadership, so Melinda and I actually go way back. It took me a little minute to figure out how long it has been. I think it's been 12 or 13 years since I first heard her speak at an entrepreneurship event that I attended in New York, well, about that long ago, frankly. And I was just launching and she was already up on the stage as an expert sharing incredible wisdom with the rest of us about how to build our businesses. But the reason I want her here today is because, frankly, more and more people are going into business for themselves or thinking about going into business for themselves. And I'm not here to tell you how to do that. And if you want to talk to her about how to do that, you're going to contact her afterwards. And at the end of the show, we'll give you contact information about how to do exactly that. But because in doing so, people forget that it's still all about communication. The way that you communicate with your clients, with your investors, with your prospects, with your employees, Here's the thought with your family when you're trying to start in a new business on your own, because they will have no idea what you're doing and you will become a slight crazy person in the process. It's just a little possible. But all this to say that communication sets the culture of your organization, whether you are a solopreneur or a team of two or whatever it is, you have to communicate effectively. So Melinda, jump in here. Tell me your thoughts on this for starters. And then give me a little bit about your background so everybody understands why I have brought you in here to help us be better communicators as entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs for those of you who are in corporate and or regular nine to five, not that there's any such thing anymore, but are thinking about being more entrepreneurial within the organization that you're currently in. Melinda, talk to me. Well, gosh, there, there's a lot of questions in that. I know. I just threw a whole ball of, like, ball of wax there. Go for it. Well, if I were just to describe what my business does, I have basically two businesses. So I have Quintessence Group, which is my marketing consulting firm. And we work with Fortune 500 brands that target small business customers. So I do what's called B to SMB marketing. We do customer acquisition, customer retention, social media strategy, and we also do influencer marketing programs. And so when you say influence, influence has a lot of meanings. In terms of my other company, Small Biz Lady Enterprises, which people are probably a little bit more familiar with, that's all of my online brand and entities. My blog, Succeed as Your Own Boss, my online school, Small Biz Lady University, and all of the free content that I put out three, four days a week all across the internet as the Small Biz Lady. So any of you that are interested in starting or growing a successful small business, that is under that umbrella. And I'm also the best-selling author of Become Your Own Boss in 12 Months. Yes, definitely a book worth, get that one first. 
start thinking about then if you really do want to head in that direction. So with all this, Melinda, you know, you said to me before, and I just referenced it, that communication sets the culture of an organization. What's one of the things you feel like is one of the biggest pitfalls that people launching new businesses or even contemplating launching new businesses trip over on a communication level? Well, I think part of it has to do with whether or not they had an opportunity to manage people when they worked in corporate before they started their businesses. Because managing people, if you're not used to managing people, is tough. And what's tough about it is really understanding what your communication style is, but then figuring out what is going to be the best communication style to really get across what you need to get across to each one of your employees. Because just like the book, The Five Love Languages, you have to figure out what the love language is of your employees, whether that is more responsibility, time off, more money, more visibility. You have to understand what motivates this person so that you know how to communicate with them to get the best results from them. And I think it's the kind of skill that people don't develop until they look around one day and realize they have all this high churn in their business and no one stayed. Mm. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, they figure out the problem is them. <laughs> you know, It's like, I have a chapter in my book, Fix Your Business. And I, and I talk about what is it like to work for you? Are you a good boss? Are you a bad boss? Are you the kind of boss where everybody knows what kind of day you're having by how you're talking to everybody? So you really have to understand how your mood and communication style really does set the culture of the day and even the culture of your organization. And in doing this, you mentioned being able to adjust your communication style for different employees. Now, and of course, different coworkers, if you've got a partner and it's not just for your employees, it's also your vendors, your customers, et cetera. I can imagine that there are people out there who are listening and going, but I don't want to have to talk differently to different people. I mean, this is me. That's why I'm going into business for myself because I just want to be myself. I don't want to have to answer to anybody else. And I'm this kind of person. I'm this kind of communicator. And if you ask me to do something else, you're asking me to be inauthentic. What's your answer to that? I will tell you that I used to be that person. I used to be that person that was like, this is my business. They got to learn how to communicate with me. They need to know what my communication style is. And maybe my direct assistant needs to know what my communication style is because she's the one synthesizing information and giving it to me. But I think that that's such a poor leadership position to have because I think that you want to make sure that people understand what you're saying. And so you do have to understand it's part of empathy and emotional intelligence to really understand how you can be more effective getting your point across. Because at the end of the day, you want them to do what you need them to do. But if they're not encoding what you are decoding, right, <laughs> you know, there's an issue. And I also think, you know, I started my business 23 years ago. So I was 26 when I started my first business. I am not the leader today than I was back then. And I think part of it was because in my business, I realized because I was so young, that there were so many things that I didn't know. So for at least the first 10 to 12 years I was in business, I took a business plan course. I took a management course. I signed up for Leadership Inc. I went through the Urban League Leadership Institute. Like So I worked on myself and I learned these skills. And now I am very much a coaching leader, which by the way, is the type of leader that most employees prefer. 
So what does that mean? A coaching leader gives, give us a little bit of background on that. What does that mean? I think a coaching leader is somebody who is invested in the employee. That's not just like you come here nine to five every day. I pay you, you do this. It's somebody that gets really interested in where the employee wants to go long-term, even if that's not long-term with them, you know, and I do that for my interns. I do that for my employees. Like I get interested in them and what they're trying to do long-term. You want to start a business one day? Okay. Well, I expose them to what contracts look like and stuff so that they can just start learning the business aspects of running a business, you know? So for me, I have found that I get a lot more loyalty. I get a lot more self-starting when I empower people by getting interested in them. It's almost like when you go to a networking event, your job is to be more interested than interesting. Interesting. I love that. Say that one more time. (laughs) You should be more interested than interesting, right? You don't go to a networking event and you're shaking hands with somebody in front of you, but you're looking over their shoulder, seeing who else better you should be talking to. That is crazy. I mean, First of all, when you go to any networking event, you really only have the bandwidth to engage with five people in a quality way. And that's what your goal should be. A, you should show up early because on time is already late, especially at a networking event, because once the little reception is over, you can only network with the other eight to 10 people at your table. So you definitely want to make sure you don't miss the cocktail hour. That's the most important. But how you show up to that cocktail hour is just as important. And so- have your cards, be friendly, and be interested in who you're talking to. Even if you know within two minutes, there's no way they could possibly do business with you. You have no idea who their brother or their cousin is. The referral is just as valuable as actually making them a prospect. And networking is not really about a sale transaction right there in the moment anyway. It's about relationship development, planting seeds, and seeing where things go over time. So anybody who's going to walk in there going, well, if you're not going to buy it from me, then there's no point in me talking to you, so I got to go, is already heading in the wrong direction, no? 100%. <laughs> but I've seen these, you know, what I call these like drive-by networkers. They come up to you and they give you your card before they even like tell you their name. And then they're like, so busy trying to get to the next person. And you're like, okay. <laughs> I was at a networking breakfast once where, you know, everybody's at round tables and things and somebody walked past the table took out a handful of business cards and just dealt them around the table like she was dealing at a poker table and then walked away. And we all just looked at each other like, uh, uh, did we really see that? Did she speak to anyone? No, didn't say a word, not a word. Just dealt out the cards and left. Craziness, right? You know, it's like, what do you remember about that person? Nothing important, you know, so. I remember exactly what was important, exactly what I needed to know about them, which is that I will never do business with them. And that card got left right where it landed. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I think those things are important because at the end of the day, no matter whether you are in business or you work for a corporation, people do business with people that they like, know, and trust. And all of that stems from how you communicate, how you show up. Do you send thank you notes? Like, are you a gracious person? You know, and I, and I think that there's a lot of ways you can connect with people just from being nice. And it's like simple. I can remember my little son, when he went to school, I was like, okay, be friendly. If you want friends, you must be friendly. And it's like, you got to tell adults that sometimes too. Like, hey, you want potential business, be friendly, be engaging, be interesting, you know? 
And being friendly doesn't mean you have to be this person's best friend, nor does it mean you have to be nicey-nicey, but I don't know if they're talking to you, I don't make eye contact, respond to them. Your smile can say hello for you before your mouth does, right? You know, so there's a lot of things that you can do just to be approachable. Yes. So again, understanding that there are some people listening who already own small businesses or not so small businesses. There are those who are contemplating, do they hang out their own shingle or not? Is this going to be a part-time or a full-time? At what point do you pull the trigger? And there are those who maybe haven't thought about it necessarily. Maybe they want to be more entrepreneurial within their organization. Talk to me about the mindset of what it means to be a successful entrepreneur and where maybe some of those internal communications with ourselves, we've got the one voice on this shoulder and the other voice on that shoulder. And we've got the inner critic who's got a voice and we've got the, you know, all sorts of other fears going on. Tell me about some of the internal communications that we need to strengthen in order to be better leaders and business owners. Well, I think oftentimes when people come and ask me, oh, I'm thinking about starting a business. The first thing that I say to them is that, are you really clear about what you want and why? Because sometimes you might just need to go get another job, right? Sometimes you might just have a crummy boss and entrepreneurship is hard. And I never tell anybody to dive in, right? Like all these people, you know, fell fast, all this stuff. No, I want you to really have some research and some information so that you can make an informed decision. But it is about sometimes we find ourselves working on somebody else's agenda and we're at the bottom of the list on our own agenda. And so Sometimes it's about getting clear about how you live versus how you really want to live. And whether it's, you know, more freedom, more control, more wealth, leaving a legacy for your family, you know, you've got to think about what is really important to you. And I think the pandemic did that for a lot of people. The pandemic made people really evaluate, are they on a train going in the right direction? And I think that a lot of people decided that their job was not their purpose and perhaps they needed to find something else. And so we've seen all these nonprofits pop up. We've seen lots of people become entrepreneurs, which I love, of course. But I think sometimes it's about, you know, I always wanted to work in marketing. I'm tired of being an accountant, right? You know, sometimes it's that. And so trying to figure out how to reinvent oneself, you have to first be able to have an honest conversation with yourself. And then you have to have the mindset for it. And a lot of that has to do with confidence. It has to do with clarity. And I mean, clarity of your purpose, because it's like, to me, mission and vision and passion come together to create your purpose. And I think you kind of have to figure out what those three things are before you start on any journey. Then it doesn't matter if it's an entrepreneurial journey or, or anything else. So you've got to get really clear about that. And I think some of us are so busy doing, so busy waking up, racing to the next thing. We got to get the kids up, got to get them out of the door. I got to get to the office, just doing stuff versus, you know, really kind of thinking about how are these things that I'm doing helping me fulfill my long-term goals for myself and my life? What are some of the things that we talk about mindset, what are some of the mindset challenges that people have that hold them back? And whether you're a business leader on your own, you're thinking about it, where does our head trash get in the way? Where do we got to take out the head trash? Well, part of it is your own self-doubt, you know, and there's always going to be self-doubt when you start something new. 
But the other part of it, and I can speak to this specifically, I remember when I decided that I wanted to start my small biz lady brand. And I remember telling my then husband, oh, you know, I think I have a million dollar idea. And his response was, well, why would anybody listen to you? Ouch. Yeah, that hurt, right? And I could have totally internalized that and kept that negative loop going on and on and on in my head. But instead, I was able to turn that around and be like, watch me. Ouch, good for you. And here we are 13 years later, I have a brand that reaches 3 million entrepreneurs each week online. But again, I could have let an unsupportive spouse stop me or my friends who thought I was crazy for leaving my good job. I was a television producer before I started my business. People worked their whole career to get to market for television and I was walking away and people thought I was bananas. You know, even, I remember my own father being like, you sure about this? You know, <laughs> but again, I was like, yes, I'm sure I got a plan. I'm working my plan. And so again, I think sometimes people feel fear because they don't have a plan. And so that's how other little gremlins can get in their head. And then they have their own, what I call inner obnoxious roommate, who reminds them of the last failure they had or the last mistake that you made. And you can't live there. Like I tell people all the time, I'm going to give you one hour to be mad about that. And then I'm going to need you to let it go. (laughs) Yes, I love that. But I'm going to give you an hour. You can cuss, you can scream, you can talk about it. But we're not allowed to have this conversation anymore. I love both of those two pieces to that. Number one, looking at your people call it the inner critic or whatever else, but that to redefine that as your inner obnoxious roommate, whoever that is, we all had one of them, whether it was in college or sometime afterwards. So how do we put them in their place? What's the response that we're going to have for those? And or, you know what, I'm going to give you an hour for this pity party or for this grudge you're holding or whatever. And then no, that's as much time as possible. So give for everybody out there who's got that inner obnoxious roommate, who's the doubting Thomas, as it were, who's the one who goes, who do you think you are? Who says, who's going to listen to you? Who would ever buy a product from you? Who would want to work for you? What makes you think you can do this? All those other horrifically awful self-doubting, and it's not self-deprecating. It's like just really keeping you down, keeping you anchored. Turn around. And tell that inner obnoxious roommate, I'm giving you an hour. And you know what? Maybe it's not a full hour. Maybe it's going to be five minutes or you go take a walk, get a cup of coffee, go do whatever it is. But when that timer goes off, get over it. You're going to do something else. What's a response when you go, okay, if I'm not going to let that vamp through my head over and over again on loop, that message, what's a replacement message to put through yourself that's more empowering, that's more, what did you tell yourself? I can do this. I meant to do this. I realized because of that visceral response, which was so hurtful, but a very clear indication that we probably didn't need to be married anymore. But it was also a thing of, okay, I got a bet on me. Yes. I'm a good bet. And the other little secret thing that I have always done is I've always had like a personal theme song. Like before I get on the phone or get on a Zoom call for a big pitch or whatever, I play my music, right? I psych myself up and music can always change your mood, right? And so I really love to do that. And I have Alexa's like all over my office and I will absolutely, you know, hit my music (laughs) just to like shake it off, shake off something crazy someone said to me. 
because it's just words. You know, that's their opinion. And sometimes you have to tell yourself, your opinion of me is actually none of my business. Oh, I love that phrase. Yes. Your opinion of me is none of my business. Everybody, I want you to go grab a Sharpie, grab a lipstick, grab a can of Ready Whip or something, then just write it on the mirror in your whatever you've got. Just go down to your refrigerator, get a bottle of mustard, whatever it takes that you can find fast, squirt it in giant letters on your wall, on your bathroom mirror, on whatever it is. So that's awesome. Yes. Your opinion of me is none of my business. You get that? Did you hear that again? I'm going to say it again. Your opinion of me is none of my business. So I think there's an awful lot of other people out there who are way too concerned about the public opinion polls that no one has taken. Oh, yeah. And when you're younger, I believe, particularly as a young woman, you definitely feel that way. You know, because when I was young and in business, I also looked very young, which has worked well for me as I have gotten older. But, (laughs) you know, when you're young and you're new and you look really young and, you know, you feel like your coworkers might be looking at you like, are they even old enough to be in here? You know, kind of thing. You have to shake that kind of stuff off. And tell yourself, yes, I deserve to be here. Yes, I deserve this position. And if I don't know something, it's okay to say so or ask a question to get the information. I think when you're younger, you think you got to have all the answers and you're scared to death for somebody to figure out something you don't know. And what a disservice that is. Like, I remember when I finally got over that and I was like, what in the world was I fretting that for? But I think that just comes with life and maturity My father used to say youth was wasted on the young. And I think I have finally gotten old enough to appreciate that statement. I had a coworker who in my very, very, very first job out of college, right before I started teaching, that was always his line was youth is wasted on the young. So one of the biggest fears connected to self-doubt, one of the most expensive fears out there is the fear of making the ask, the fear of asking for the money, asking for the sale. If you're in business for yourself, I mean, unless you have hired a designated sales team, and maybe you have, but even so, you may need to be asking for investments, other funding of different sorts. You're going to invite people to be board members, and they may have contributions of some sort. The fear of asking for money, the fear of stating your price, the fear of asking for what you're worth. Talk to me about that. How do we remove those blocks? And how do you ask for the money? How do you ask for that sale? Well, the first thing is it goes back to mindset. You have to get yourself out of thinking, oh, I'm going to make this sale. I got to close this deal. What you've got to do is think about what you're doing for your customer. You're helping them. So if you think about sales as helping, it doesn't feel sleazy. It, It should not feel uncomfortable to you because that is what you're doing. Your product or service is actually helping them. So once you have that in your head, it's a lot easier to go forward. But the other thing you have to do is you got to start getting a lot of practice. You got to start having more sales conversations so that it becomes innate to you. It become you become a machine. I personally love to sell. It's my favorite thing is closing a deal, but I'm rare, clearly, right? <laughs> I also love to stand up in front of people and talk, right? Which is something other people despise doing. But for me, it's about the sale, the kill, but it's about, look, I provide an amazing service for my clients. I help them accomplish their goals, build their brands, build a loyal following with small business customers. And I'm good at what I do. And I tell myself that before I go and pitch my business. 
Yeah, remind yourselves that everybody out there, whether you are owning a business or thinking about it or not, frankly, you can be the head of marketing, you can be the SVP of finance someplace, or you can be an intern in the mailroom, whatever it is, remind yourself, I'm good at my job. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing what I want. I'm good at my job. Sometimes we actually need to remind ourselves that actively. Oh, right. Especially when somebody else gives you a hard time on something else. It can really erode your self-esteem quickly. You know, sometimes you need to go Google yourself and remind yourself who you are and how the world views you. So when you say Google your own receipts, I think there are people who may or may not know what this means. Give them clear. What does what does that mean for them? Well, I mean, you know, a lot of us that have been in business for a while that have accomplished things, it's all over the Internet. Google yourself so you just see what all of the amazing things that you've done. Sometimes we've done so much we forgot about stuff we've done. And so I think it's important for us to count up our receipts. And that by that, I mean all of our accomplishments, the things that we've done, frankly, even the things we've survived. Yes. It's not always about like this personal highlight reel we have. Sometimes it's about, I am a woman. And when I got started, there was nobody in this department that was a woman but me. And now there's how many other women here, but all of the things you went through to get to that vice presidency. Yep. I think it's important to count the cost of that. I agree. And now that may not be something that you come across when you're Googling yourself per se, that may not be there in black and white. But I think it's super important to remind yourself what you have been scrappy enough, been tenacious enough, been resourceful enough, been creative enough to overcome. I mean, I've had people say, what are, what are some of your greatest accomplishments? What are you most proud of? And, you know, one of the things is just, okay, I finished seven years worth of grad school at an Ivy League institution and finished without debt. Finishing it is not the point. Finishing it without a mortgage worth of debt attached to it, I'm far more proud of, frankly. That's the accomplishment that I survived it. And I'm not going to be paying the mortgage with my teeth for the rest of my life. So what have you accomplished? What have you managed to just endure and come out on the other side of stronger for it? I think those things are really, really important for us to count up the cost. You know, what, what did we pay to get where we are? I think those are things worth thinking about. And I'm a big fan of journaling. I'm a big fan of writing stuff down and thinking through, okay, this is what I thought was going to happen. This is what did happen, what I learned from it, and then keep it moving. Yes. I think journaling can teach you an awful lot. And it's a good place to vent. If you need to give yourself that hour to sit there in your snit and have your little pity party or whatever it is, you gave yourself a deadline, get out of it in an hour, data dump it in the journal. That can be cathartic in its own way. And then move on from there, whether it's two thumbs or a piece of paper and a pen whatever it is, get it out of your system in some sort of healthier way. You know, I was thinking, you mentioned earlier the importance of not thinking of it as selling, thinking of it as helping. I think we can even take it a step further and say, if you believe that your product or service is actually in that person's best interest, that you are helping them, you're there in service. And to not offer this, to not provide them with the opportunity to have their life improved by using this product or service by engaging with you, that you are doing them a disservice. You're allowing them to be in a state of discomfort, of frustration, of lack of satisfaction, lack of health, lack of emotional wellness. It's doing them a disservice to not offer them the opportunity to be happier and more successful. So think about that. I love it. I think you're right. If you think about it, like you're doing them a disservice not to tell them. That's great. And also too, sometimes when you get to know a customer, 
you might realize that your solution isn't the right solution for them and be honest enough to say that. Yes. I mean, I've gotten asked at times if I do things like crisis communications. No, I mean, if you need to talk to somebody in the next 20 minutes, I can give you some advice about whatever. But if you are doing a BP oil spill kind of a situation, or there's a massive cybersecurity breach, I can help you with certain things, but I know somebody who's the king of that. And I'm going to have them on speed dial and help you find the person who's going to make sure that you come out safest in the end of this. I know where my limits are. I know where I can best serve you. And I know where there's someone who can serve you better. And my job in best service and greatest service to you is to help you find that other person sometimes. Definitely. Lastly, I think we talked a little bit earlier about, before we got on this call, about delegation. And communication through delegation is super important. Now, of course, some people just don't want to delegate. And that's a whole other control freak issue where if you don't want to delegate anything yeah, you're just going to be working harder for yourself than you'd were for anybody else. But for those who do want to delegate responsibility, want to build their teams, how do they do that? How, how do you, where does communication come into effective delegation? Well, the first thing you have to do is really do a good catalog of all of the things that you do and then figure out what is the difference, what I call between queen bee work and worker bee work, like work someone else could do so that you could free up more of your time to do queen bee work. And so I think that it starts with that, the list, right? What can you delegate? And then being really good about documenting whatever it is, and then sitting down with the person that you want to delegate to. I, I talked to a friend of mine, and she told me that when her business turned 20, she took three months off from her business. And in order for her to do that, she had to plan and delegate for six months before she could leave for three months. Wow. And I was astonished by this. And she explained to me that when she got back, she sat down with each person on her team that she had delegated things to and asked them what they liked and what they didn't like about the things that she delegated to them. And when she got back, a lot of them didn't give those tasks back to her. So her job actually became smaller because she empowered six to seven people around her to take different pieces of her job. And as it turns out, they were better at some of these pieces than she was. Now, to go away from your business for three months and be like, no one called me, that is like a really brave thing to do. But she was able to delegate so that she could do it. And then she had the sense of mind to do a postmortem with everyone and say, well, how did things go? What was hard? You know, did you run into any snags? Tell me about it. And do you want to give this task back to me? And they were like, no, I actually enjoy it. I want to keep it. Nice. I can imagine the amount of trust that she had built over time with them to know that they were competent from a skill level, but also they were good enough to communicate that they'd be able to tell her if there was a problem and they'd be able to solve the problem if there had been one. That's incredible trust, the loyalty and the culture that she would have had to create, establish with them and for them to enable them to succeed and her to step out and know that they can still run the show. I think that's the exit strategy, right? It was her exit strategy because she actually ended up selling her business three years later. And two of the people that she had delegated a lot of her job to now run the business. She sold her business to her employees. And so I think that there's a lot to be gained from looking at what you do as the head or as the leader and looking at what you can offshoot to some other people. 
A, to give them more experience and B, to get some stuff off your plate. Oh my goodness. We have covered an awful lot in a very short period of time. And I'm guessing that just about everybody out there listening is going, but I want to go back to this topic. Go help me out with this issue. So Melinda, how can people learn more if they really want to deep dive into more of this topic, either because they already own a business, they are planning their exit in order to be able to start a business, or they are maybe not, but they still want to know how these principles can help them be more effective, more creative, more satisfied, more successful in their current jobs. How can they learn more? Well, first of all, my name is Melinda Emerson. Please connect to me on LinkedIn. Everywhere else online, I am the small biz lady, and that's B-I-Z lady. So connect with me online, and my website is succeedasyourownboss.com. And start with my book, Become Your Own Boss in 12 Months. Oh my goodness. You guys don't run your car off the road trying to write all that stuff down. We will put it in the show notes. So come back when your car has stopped moving or when you're not walking the dog anymore or wherever you happen to be, jot it all down. It's all in the notes. So you get all of those links correct. Absolutely read her book. Absolutely check out her writings and follow on LinkedIn. I love reading everything that she writes. So Melinda, thank you so much for joining me today. I had a blast and I learned a ton. Oh, Laura, thank you so much for having me. And to everybody out there, thank you again for joining us. And if this is your first time joining, a happy new year. And of course, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode moving forward. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, and all the other usual suspects so that we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And of course, if you want to download my free equipment guide recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.